Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. American Giant makes the durable, comfortable spring closet staples you need for work, the gym, and even happy hour. Made in America. Designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20. Everyone and welcome back to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but have a life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, my buddy, my pal, Dean Spunt of the band No Age, part of our two-episode No Age spectacular, um, coming at you in 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 um a lot of glory this is an incredible episode uh you know of course dean is in no age and we we talk about that more on all this in one second but first if you want to get in touch with me you can head over to the email address turned at a punk podcast at gmail.com that is run by my brother and show producer and and guest booker extraordinaire tristan abraham not this week but he, he books a lot most of these guests uh and he will get the message to me and i will be able to converse uh, that way, or you can find me on various forms of social media at left for Damien. There's also a turn out a punk, uh, Facebook page and a Instagram page. Both of those are at turned out a punk. So you can find out more information there as well. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is by telling all your friends, letting them know that you listen to this thing and say, it's a, it's a fun time. They talk about punk and, and bands like chopping block and, and the like, uh, you can also support the show by heading over to the uh, Patreon page. There's a Patreon page that we do uh, Turned Up Punk footnotes on and some other fun stuff, so go check that out over there. Or subscribe to this thing. Rate it on uh, on your platform listening to of choice. Speaking of support, this show would not be possible with the kind, loving support of the fine folks of Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, do what you do, just don't lose money doing it. So we're going to help you do that, and I really appreciate them doing that as well. You know, between them and the Patreon people, I really can't thank you uh, both enough for your support and everything on the show. All right, moving on to today's show. We just, I'm burning through these episodes. I got, I got so many in the backlog and I got more people coming on. Oh my gosh. I just got off doing a, uh, a record breaking. I think it's going to be the record for the longest episode ever. A part two with someone and, uh, oh man. So I, I, I apologize if I'm a little marble mouthed. I've been talking a lot and I will now continue to talk more because I got to talk about my friends No Age and their brand new album, Goons Be Gone. You think I'm plugging it like I'm being paid to do it? No, I'm legitimately. I love this band, and this is a fantastic new album. And when it was coming out, I I, I reached out to these guys and said, "Hey, please come back on the show, and we can talk about it." Because uh, come back on the show. I feel like I've had them on the show before because I, I this is a band that I really feel like I should have had on the show. 
prior to. They are, uh, you know, as I say, a band that meant a lot to me, not just as musicians that I like, but as just on a personal level, touring with them and stuff at a very kind of key moment in my own life and fucked up to bring it back to myself as egotistically as possible. But uh, but truthfully, you know, and we had mutual road crew, shout out to Bram, and we had, you know, a lot of mutual kind of ideals, you know, just politics and personal beliefs and, and things like that. But also, you know, Dean was straight edge at the time that I was straight edge. And then, you know, we, we, we talk about this stuff in a second on the show. Uh, so that's it. I'm not going to blather on anymore. Uh, check out Goons Be Gone. Check out the other episode with uh, Randy Randall as well. Kind of amazing little bookends right here. Anyway, I'm not going to blather on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Dean Spunt on Turned Out a Punk. Dean, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes. What's up? Very excited. I'm beside myself excited to have you on. I want to have you on literally for years, and I want to do this in person because I feel uh, I feel like a, a strong sort of kinship with you, um, being yeah. that I met you when you were straight edge, and then you you broke straight edge first, and I followed your lead <laughs> a few years later. Uh, <laughs> so I feel I feel like uh, you know I've walked your path a little bit behind you. So. <laughs> I've since returned back to pretty close to being straight edge, but <laughs> well, maybe that's happened to me in a few more years. <laughs> yeah, we'll not, see. Yeah, but uh, but anyway, dude, it's so great to talk to you again. Yeah, man, it's really good to hear from you. I'm, I'm psyched to get get to finally do this. I've been wondering when you're going to ask me to do this thing. Well, yeah, like it's it's funny because there's people that I'm just like, oh, like you know, I'll, yeah, sure, we can do this on the phone. But then there's people I'm like, oh, I want to save it so we can do it in person. And then, you know, now that we're never going to see anyone else ever again, <laughs> we might as well do it here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Dean, I got to start this off the way they all start off, which is, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Yeah, yeah, I I have, yeah, I've been thinking about this and. Really, it starts with the most generic answer you can give is that I heard a Ramones tape, and it was my—I must have been in fifth, fifth grade or so—and um, a friend of mine. We were getting into skateboarding. His older brother um, was into punk rock. You know, I—I I, I vaguely knew what that was because I was a punk rocker when I was in third grade a couple years before for halloween i dressed up as a punk rocker um so i had these like felt um these like felt uh wristbands and a felt black felt vest that my mom made with little studs on it and i, <laughs> and I had a rolling stones t-shirt like a black rolling stones t-shirt with the mouth logo that i my mom must have had or something to me that was punk rock i had no idea i was, I was a child little child and I, and I had a flat top and they sprayed my hair with different colors um but i heard this ramones tape a friend of ours older brother was uh into punk and he let us borrow a tape or we stole it i don't remember exactly but um i do remember listening to it and it was the first record and it was on a cassette and it had the image of that first album cover where they're against the wall black and white and i listened to it over and over and uh i I was so intrigued by it and it, it, um, it, it was almost a scary thing to me. Like it, I, I, I couldn't understand what was happening, but it, I loved it. And, um, it felt really, it felt scary in a way. 
And what kind of stuff were you into prior to that? Like, you know, you mentioned being dressed up as a punk rocker, but like, you know, musically, I'm sure it wasn't, you know, uh, punk rock by that point before that. No, I mean, well, shit. Like MC Hammer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think that right around when I found out about punk or what it was, Nirvana was also happening. Mm -hmm. So there was a coalesce of those two things at the same time. Um, And... And yeah, I mean, I don't think I really, I had an older cousin who was into um, hip hop. So I think before, right before punk, like uh, DJ Quick and NWA, and like I knew about that from my cousin, I'd hear it and listen to it and thought it was cool. Um, those things kind of all happened around the same time, but but definitely punk piqued my interest most. And then, and then through another friend we were skateboarding with, his older brother had, it was Ed Kennedy's tape and, um, and uh like eye against eye this is all this all happened before i'm in middle school this is like fifth sixth grade i'm just like i got all of these tapes and i would listen to them borrow them and sort of put the pieces together and um and then i had another interesting thing happen i think the next year when i was in junior high i'll tell this story quick because i think it, it it makes sense in the um trajectory of my my uh, music but um, my aunt's boyfriend was from Oxnard, and she was living with us, with me and my, my family at the time. Her boyfriend was from Oxnard, and, and uh, my aunt told him that I was, into, I was getting into punk music. And this is, shit, I must have been like 11 or somewhere around 10, 11, 12. I can't remember exactly, but, mm-hmm. but he gave me two cassette tapes. He's like, oh, yeah, your aunt said you're into punk. I want to give you these tapes. One said it was a mixtape, and it had this sort of uh, on the on the side of the tape, it said skins, oi, oi, oi. Yeah. <laughs> and I I had just learned what a skinhead was, too. And I, I thought it was a Nazi, only a Nazi thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to this tape, and it had Cockney Rejects on it, and it had, like, Dr. No. It had a lot of Nardcore stuff on it because – he was from Oxnard, I guess. Um, but I and had an adolescence on it. And I listened to this tape and I was really, really into it. Um, but then I, I started getting worried because the way he wrote it on the tape, his stylized writing, like the E was his three lines, didn't have the, the vertical line up and down. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, the, like it was, the, it, the skate logo, the skate way of writing an E almost. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it's very stylized. The S's were really you know, like pointy and everything. And it, it was really cool. Like it said skins on it all over the place. Um, and, and the adolescence, it, it almost, I thought it said Adolf sense. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and I, I grew up, my dad was Jewish. Right. Yeah. So I was like really freaked out for, I was like, Oh my God, this is Nazi music. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially, but I, love, but I also liked it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I couldn't figure it out. So, there's a local record store. I went there and I asked the kid at the record shop and I said, Hey, do you have, I took me a lot of courage to, to get, get in there and ask him like, do you have a band called the uh, Adolf sense? <laughs> <laughs> and the dude, you know, the dude's probably in high school, maybe older. And he's like, what? I'm like Adolf sense. And I think I said one of the songs, they have a song, uh, you know, Amoeba. The guy's like, Oh, adolescence. <laughs> and I think I said, well, uh, yeah. And he showed me the album cover and I was so relieved. I was like, 
fuck yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, thank you. Uh, so anyway, I, I that was another pivotal sort of this mixtape and the the early tapes. They 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 uh, led me to a path. Did you ever talk to that guy uh, about going to shows or anything? Like, was he like a hardcore kid type thing? No. No, because I he gave me the tapes, I ingested them, and then by the time I, I did, he he was out of out of the picture. Okay, but um, the vivid memory I remember is that he he might have been a skinhead because all our, you know before I knew what that was, I remember him wearing like really tight five hundred ones. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I and in my mind at that age, I I I just associated that with being a cowboy. Yeah. Of course, you know. But years later, when I learned more about skinhead culture, um, it, it made sense that oh, he was probably in. He was probably you know ex skinhead or something. Or yeah, um, yeah. Like who else wears tight five hundred ones? You know, cowboys. Not yeah, not in like the mid nineties. Not in the mid nineties. No, definitely no. not. It was, it was weird baggy pants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like every normal person would at that point. Um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, where did you kind of go from getting these tapes, though? Like, had you gone to any concerts before this or anything? Um, well, the first concert I ever went to was at Magic Mountain, Six Flags. Yeah. I was really young, uh, still in elementary school, and I saw Luther Vandross. <laughs> That's a good first show. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. Um, that, was, that was pretty wild. I think it was Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, maybe, and... And Luther Vandross, what real a weird bill, you know? They, were, <laughs> yeah, they they would put these really f- fucked up bills together. Now that I play music and play festivals, I'm sure it was a high price tag for them. And and um, I barely remember that, but I do remember putting on out like a big. We had a lot of clothes at my house. My my mom like would pile all these. There's just like rooms and rooms because they they also ran a silkscreen shop, so there's just clothes everywhere, shirts and stuff. So I like put on this giant jacket or i very vaguely remember this but yeah i just thought it was a cool look or something you know maybe <laughs> um anyway that was at six flags barely that was my first concert and uh but the first time i went to a show i was in junior high yeah, i was about seventh grade and um there was a local punk show that i got a flyer for at my junior high and um there's a band called the outside i think they're kind of feel like it was a pop punk man but i can't really remember and it was at the vfw hall and my dad dropped me off before he went to his na his narcotics anonymous meeting and he's like hey i'm gonna drop you off here i'll pick you up in like hour and a half cool and i went in and it just felt like a blur i just saw people i saw people jumping around i saw people playing i like but i already knew you know i had some tapes i knew about punk a bit and it I, i loved it how, did you like know about this band? Like, how'd you hear about the show even happening? Just a flyer. Someone flyer. gave me a flyer at, at our junior high. Yeah, like someone was passing up flyers. Maybe. Oh yeah, I think it was a friend's. Someone that went to school's brother was in one of the bands. Um, and yeah, and the, you know, that there was that. And then the next year, yeah, I went to another show. Um, another band from my high school was playing a show in Hollywood this time. Um, the first show is in this little town I grew up in called Saugus. And then the second show I went to was, uh, in Hollywood at this place called the natural fudge cafe. Um, what a name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember it smelled like urine and they were selling hot dogs and, um, 
it was me and like six other little skateboard kids. We went, I think one of the dads dropped us off and we were totally out of our element. Um, and yeah, two bands from our high school played. And then this, this band from San Diego called, they were called the spent idols. Oh shit. Did they put out records? Yeah. Yeah. They were like, a. You know, they had Mohawks and, and yeah. like Liberty Spikes. They were kind of a 77 type band. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I think I know that. Ba- I think I have a 7 inch. Yeah, yeah. Um, they played with the with the high school band. And um, this is crazy, actually. So we're like 12 years old. And the guy from the Spent Idols got in an argument with the band from our high school, which are older kids. These kids are probably juniors or seniors. And we were just, just freshmen. Um they got in some argument, and the Spent Idols guy pulled a gun oh, on the, uh, the what was the corporate condo was the local band. So they played. <laughs> so, the, so another one of the older kids rushed all of us younger kids into the one of the vans. Like you guys stay here. Some guy pulled a gun. Shit's going down. And I was just, I was freaked out, but also like fuck yeah, punk. This is this is like this is what this is what I want. This is amazing. What's going on? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is a, that's like, how many people were at that show even? Like, was it four? I don't even remember what's, yeah. And it seemed, it's, I remember standing in the back and, oh, there was another band that played called Phil's Throne, which um, was, do you know Brian Rotinger? He used to do our graphic design stuff. And um, I think I met him with you guys. Yeah. You've met Brian. And then um, Aaron, Aaron, who was in the Liars. (laughs) <laughs> so they're from Santa Clarita. They're from where I grew up too. Yeah. I didn't know them then, but they were skateboarder guys. They, they were in this band that were, I think they sounded more like in my memory, like FYP. Yeah. Just kind of fast and trashy. But yeah, Brian might've taken his pants off and thrown a pumpkin in the audience. It was all very chaotic and anarchic. <laughs> <laughs> so were there like a lot of kids in your high school that were kind of getting into this stuff at the same time? Not really. There was the older kids that were there's a couple bands um yeah and then in my age group like just getting into high school i had a few friends that were into punk but not as much as me you know i i got really really into it. like i dropped skateboarding and just was into music and just into you know i'd show my friends like this 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 and i think i could tell their interest was waning mm-hmm. um and and where i grew up was kind of a there was no radio station you know there was no college station the college out there was a community college and then cal arts a really wild art college and there was no there was no there was really nowhere to find information there was a small record store that had some stuff and that's where i asked about that adolescence album but um it was hard it was hard mm-hmm. it was hard to find find out what was going on would you get like k-rock and those types of radio stations out there yeah 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 K-Rock and like, K- yeah, K- an oldie station. And then I think some, you know, country music. Like how much sort of penetration would like, I guess it's even probably a few years before this stuff would really start exploding. But like, would like bands like Pennywise and Strung Out have on like K-Rock? Like, would they play those types of bands at all? You know, I, actually, I don't even think I got K-Rock where I live. Mm-hmm. I think it's when you I drive out of town, you'd hear it. Okay. Yeah, um, totally. So I think those, I mean, those bands were popular when I was in junior high. Yeah. I had Pennywise and strung out no effects. I mean, that was definitely an, uh, one avenue of entry that I explored and then it became, um, not that interesting. Yeah. Um, 
Um, but yeah, but 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 then you know, like around high school time, you could tell like the kind of the jockey guys were into that kind of music. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wrote that off as not being. I don't know anything that I'd I'd like anymore. Although I do, I mean, pop punk in its like simplest and dumbest form, like Screeching Weasel or the Queers. Like I, I'm forever a fan of that kind of music. Well, yeah. Like, where did you kind of go? Like you mentioned getting deeper into it. Like what, what kind of stuff were you getting into? Was it that kind of lookout record sound? I, I, that was sort of a younger junior high thing. I liked that. And then, and then I, and then right around high school, I, I started getting into, um, you know, I got into being straight edge. So then I learned about, more hardcore stuff, but I really dug my teeth into, um, discord mm-hmm. for me. That was, that was the first sort of that simultaneously with black flag and SST, like the, and maybe they're both labels and that's something I haven't really thought about too much, but those, uh, yeah, I like, I think straight edge minor threat and then discord and just getting, trying to like learn everything about discord and, you know, I'd get the, I'd mail order stuff whenever I get any money and I, and it, Discord was cool. Cause it wasn't, um, it wasn't a genre, you know, it wasn't, mm. it, it just sort of felt like I'd get, I'd order a faith void and I'd get, I'm like, this is amazing. I do like this kind of music. And then I'd order ignition or something and I'd get it and be like, I don't not get this, but it has <laughs> the guy from the other band, the guy from faith and the other guys I like. And so I always felt like I, I would get it. I got something I knew. I, like I knew I wasn't there yet, but I knew I, it, it was important, you know? Yeah. It's almost come up like a lot on the show now where I'm, it's the idea, I guess that like, you know, you had to pick because there's limited resources. You couldn't buy everything. So you kind of had to go with like what you trusted. So if you found a label with like a couple bands on it that you liked, you'd be like, well, I'll just buy stuff on this label because it's safe to do. That. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least I knew, I knew there was, there was, um, it, it, it felt substantial, even though, like I said, musically, maybe, you know, fire party, like I'm still waiting to, for that one to click, you <laughs> to know? click. And, uh, <laughs> like a few, a lot of those records I, I still have, I haven't gotten rid of them. Cause I'm like, I, I mean, now it's like historical at this point, yeah. but you know, it, it was also their dedication to fostering this community of people that were making art and no matter what, that's why I like what SST too. It felt like there was a lineage and, and you could trace it back and you could say, Oh, this guy was in this band. This person was in this band. This woman played in this band. And I, the music maybe isn't my style now, but you know, who knows? It was also, there's like almost like philosophies that went along with these labels. So like, as you're saying, like, you know, the epitaph fat record stuff, cause it was being taken up by the jocks around you, like didn't yeah. connect at all. But like, you know, the discord, there's like a philosophy to it. And same with SST, you know, different philosophies, but still philosophies to it. Yeah. Yeah. And they felt, they felt tangible. And I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think I don't know if I really realized SST was, you know, a local label even. Mm-hmm. Like Discord felt like my years and years before and far away. This and I knew Black Flag was from LA, but it's from like South Bay. So I think when I like local music, you know, I had these high school bands that I guess were they they were interesting, but I then got into, I, you know, through um, actually Brian Rotinger again and a few friends that ran labels in Santa Clarita. He had a label called Handheld Heart. Um, and then uh, Mike Ott ran a label called Hopscotch and then Sound Virus. Mm-hmm. They were local 
guys a few years older than me and you know, they were putting out local and like current bands. Um, so then I found out about shows more, you know. So who were some of the local kind of current bands that you were into? Um, I started to see, well, touring, I started to see touring bands. Um, I went to the, the smell just opened when I, when I was like 15, I think I went to an opening party through another friend and, um, like dub narcotic played, or, you know, I mean, they yeah. didn't know what that was. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, Mel Banana played. Now, obviously that's not local, but it was a current touring yeah. thing that was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, locally, you know, San Diego hardcore, um, Spock rock stuff was yep. happening pretty big. I, I heard the locust and was like, holy shit, this is crazy music. <laughs> um, and knew that was happening here. And then also sound virus, I mean, a hopscotch and, and, um, handheld heart were putting out not really local LA bands, but submission hold, you know, yeah, um, yeah. They put a submission hold seven inch, um, Death Wish Kids uh, was that on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Death Wish Kids. So stuff that was kind of happening. I like that Death Wish. Kids I love that Death Wish Kids. Yeah. I, I like. Yeah. It. You know, I think a lot of there's another band too. I can't remember. Right after that, put out a ten inch. Um, I don't think they were called yeah. Death Wish Kids on that though. Was that on the same label? I think it might be on the same label, and it's like super killer. Fuck yeah! I don't remember. Anyway, yeah, I like that. Uh, yeah, I like yeah, <laughs> I like that. But yeah, and they, then they got into Mercy Devils. I didn't. That didn't click, but. Um, but so that, yeah, there was that kind of that world. And then I, so then through that, I found out about these shows happening the PCH club and the pickle patch and, um, which was Stevie Oki's place. Yeah. I was going to say this, yeah. the pickle patch is like a venue that, you know, out of all the DIY spaces, probably obviously because Steve Aoki's massive ascent as a, yeah. as a DJ, but like that has become a, such a storied venue. <laughs> <laughs> it was his apartment. I don't his know. Apartment, I know, but it's yeah. just, you know, and it's also funny how like that stuff really is a launching pad for, for what became almost like the cool, well, did, did become the cool, like, you know, death from above 1979 and like all yeah. this stuff that was kind of like weirdly circulating around San Diego and, and up into sort of Los Angeles area. It's like, it's amazing to see where all these different people went and how big some of those bands got and some of those people got in their respective communities. Yeah. And I think LA at that time, when I started going to shows in a serious way, when I was probably six, 16, 17, uh, um, you didn't really go into LA, like the city, there was really no shows for that kind of music for any punk or hardcore mm-hmm. emo, whatever, all the, all of that stuff that was kind of happening at the same time. Um, but on the outskirts, you know, Santa Barbara, I would drive an hour and a half to go see a show at the living room or at the Pickle Patch and then drive back home on these re- really crazy, foggy, tiny roads. Um, I would never do that now. It's fucking insane. At like two in the morning. <laughs> yeah. um, I, don't, I can't believe I don't know what I told my parents. I'm sure. <laughs> um, <clears throat> or I'd go to San Diego and see a show or I'd go to Wilmington, Long Beach and go to the PCH Club, which mm-hmm. was a really great venue. Um yeah, and then I learned about the you know th- through those labels and through seeing bands and uh, opening bands, and then I, and then I became aware of all these things like Le Shock. Um, um, got so many, there's so many local bands, and then the smell was a big. The smell is where I landed, I think, because uh, it was closer. It was in North Hollywood when it first opened, and that was only 20 minutes from me, mm-hmm. and they were programming much more interesting music for me 
it got more experimental and got more free and open. Like eventually it becomes like a scene and there's like, you know, you know, like, uh, like, you know, obviously it still goes to this day and it's, it's very much yeah. an active part, but like eventually there becomes like sort of like what is defined at least by the outside is like, oh, that's like the smell scene. But in yeah. the beginning, was it just kind of like more of like a hodgepodge venue of who was coming in there and playing? Yeah, I wouldn't say hodgepodge because it felt, it felt like the people who opened it, Jim Smith, um, Jarrett. And Ara, th- those those three people, Jim didn't play music, but you go to Jim's house. I went to Jim's house for the first time when I was probably 18 or so in his records. And he was listening to Albert Eiler and No New York. And and like, and so thing, they were definitely into more um, experimental and free music. Mm-hmm. And Ara was in that bag, Godsick Pink, who were kind of a no wavy, um, free jazz type band. And Jarrett was in this band called the Uphill Gardeners that were, everything was sort of, open the smell felt very like they were trying they were trying to be sophisticated okay um, yeah i didn't get that then but but it's there's something about it where um it just it, you know there was hardcore venues and punk venues that's the like kind of all that played there and then this was like over the speakers they'd be playing jazz and then there'd be someone ex, you know playing an experimental set with a guitar or a piece of glass and you just sort of <laughs> yeah you know it felt like it was happening now or something yeah but there was really no I think the scene from the smell was a holdover from the Jabberjaw because the Jabberjaw closed, and and then th- that's why the smell really opened was to f- to fulfill that space where the Jabberjaw was, which was, I guess, just yeah, L.A. indie, much more um, maybe had ties to the Northwest. You know, did you did you ever go to the Jabberjaw? I was just a little too little too late. Yeah, I like I only I, I was from that book. Well, the seven inches that came out too, but then Brian Ray Turcott's book that came out a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went, I attempted to go to the makeup show, which was the last show at the Jabberjaw. I don't know what happened. It was my friends. We were going to go something. I, I don't, I didn't end up going, but my friends did. And that was the last show. So I had just heard about the Jabberjaw maybe a month or weeks before it closed. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the smell opened up pretty quickly. And I, I met, I, I, I was at the mall in my town, in my town and, um, I met Ara. He was dating this girl that worked at the mall. Mm-hmm. And he, I, 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 you know, I, I had a little punk look going on. So I think he just was like, Hey, we're opening this venue. You should come. We're having a party. And, um, yeah. And then I found out about that place. So like, were there, but there were like sort of more of like the, you know, capital H hardcore shows that would happen at the smell too. Right. Like the infamous dystopia riot. Yeah, so that was years. That was a few years later when it moved downtown. Okay. But yeah, so so Jim, Jim would that, like then the early scene. It was this holdover from from the Jabberjaw, you know, and it felt like they were really trying to figure out this this open music and like experimental nights and things like that. That and I, I think the it only lasted in that spot for two years, maybe, and then it moved downtown in two thousand or two thousand one, and. Ara and Jarrett, the two founding members, left. So it was just Jim. So Jim was really – he wasn't really programming. He was, like, allowing other promoters to come in and book stuff. So I started booking stuff there around 2000 or so, 2001. And I brought in a lot of hardcore shows there. Um, what were some of the shows you booked? Um, Total Fury. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, fuck. Reagan SS. Um 
God damn. Cold sweat. So, cause that's um, also kind of like a parallel thing that's happening around, I guess maybe just before this, but around the same time where like, you've got like that, that, um, sort of slap ham scene happening a little bit yeah. north of there and, and those kind of bands as well. Right. Yeah. So those bands were looking for a place to play because the PCH club closed down. Mm-hmm. That was the venue that I went to when I was younger and they had a bunch of hardcore shows. So I, I was sort of a bridge between that, you know, Jim didn't like doing those shows really, unless I was there to vouch for it and be there to help clean up because he's like, I, I don't need to do these shows because it's kind of a pain in the ass, you know, <laughs> like I want to help these kids out, but the clientele sometimes, um, can be a little aggressive and, um, and, and, but I, you know, I, I, I got a lot of shows to Matt average. Um, he, I would work with him, um, like Lice Halt, <clears throat> Felix, yeah. Ernie and those guys book shows for them. Um, please inform the captain. This is a hijack, like Esperanza, that kind of those those guys. Um, but yeah, then the heart. There was a pretty healthy crew of people booking hardcore shows and stuff like that at the smell. But I think after a while, and at the, I mean, before the dystopia show, I think Jim was sort of trying to phase that stuff out because it just didn't seem it didn't seem worth it for him, I guess, to have to deal with all of the shit that went on post show, like people hanging on the alley and drinking and, you know, and just kind of destroying the place. Yeah. Like it felt like it was, um, you know, going there a few, a few years later and getting there, like there was almost like two punk scenes happening. Well, there's probably tons of punk scenes happening at the same time, but it felt like two, like there was the smell scene and that was very much like, you know, musically adventurous and, and going all these different places. And there was also sort of like a much more kind of like codified, this is the hardcore scene type scene. Um, and they felt like they were almost not really meeting at all, except maybe before I showed up, obviously through the shows that you're doing. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, there's so many different orbits in LA. Yeah. You know, I brought a lot of that stuff to the smell, but I also, I love the smell and I felt, I mean, after a while though, I stopped doing those shows too, because it just became the same old, kind of bullshit that happens like and i think i i think after booking so many shows like that it, for me at least it felt less interesting um just being involved because i well, you know i wasn't really in a hardcore scene when i was younger like i grew up in a weird ass town you know mm-hmm. um and then out and and then when i found the smell it really felt like i was trying to build something and i think the hardcore stuff i liked and i was friends with those guys and, it, and i was bringing it in but it didn't really they i don't know if there was so much of a um, vested interest in like um, nurturing the smells community. It was sort of like, we'll, we'll book a show anywhere. We just need a place to play. We had like a hardcore scene. Um, so it's like people would kind of come in and ne- maybe not be so interested in what the smells, the ideological side of the smell. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I, I think you put it perfectly there where like, it's the idea of joining a scene versus like building a scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause so, if, yeah, if, we were if, working on building something. Yeah. And it, it definitely is like one of the, you know, it was something completely unique, you know, and look at the bands that came out of that and look at the impact that those bands had in different worlds and stuff like that. Like it was really, uh, you know, like it, a scene was built. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Part of me wishes, I don't know. There might, was more crossover, I guess, with the other punk scene, but, but that, but that, punk, you know, that hardcore scene had been going, it, it, it's like continuing. Mm-hmm. It has been going since the, 
late eighties or something, <laughs> you know, like a hardcore thrash music. It's happening. This, the other side of the smell stuff was building. Yeah. This, this thing happening right now. We didn't know what was going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Coming as an outsider, looking at it, it feels like, you know, it was a place that drew people that were obviously involved in the punk scene, you know, like Bob's been on, like all these people have been on that, you know, we're there, but ne- didn't necessarily feel drawn to what was being kind of taken up as being punk rock at that moment and wanted to kind of, kind of make space of their own. <clears throat> yeah. I think punk rock and especially living and being from LA has a really, you know, it, it's undefinable because I mean, look, look at our, our past lineage of punk music from here is like, I mean, Black Flag and X, these bands that were really, or Screamers or bands that at the time were really pushing, I think, what the idea of punk was. So I, I think if you can, if you, if you um, get into that mindset and, and try to think about those bands like the Minutemen or something, I mean, you, you can really sidestep a lot of the, um, the punk aping that goes on, I think, in scenes. You just sort of go directly to the, the source of inspiration and, and like look for something fresh and new. Because, um, yeah, like I said, this I credit Jim and Ara and Jared because those guys, those guys were friends with older people who were into avant-garde music, you know. And when I started booking shows in 2001 or so, my palette was pretty limited, but it felt exploratory to go into there, to go into there. And like uh, my, the band I was in, I started would you know, I wanted to play with this guy, Craig Grady, who I saw there that was, you know, playing these um, really kind of like homemade instruments and things, you know, Mm -hmm. it, it like also, you know, were there, sorry, were there any bands that kind of bridged those gaps and like, were there any bands that kind of crossed over between the two scenes? Like would man is the bastard. Or Bastard Noise, I guess, would have, right? Yeah. Uh, Bastard Noise. Yeah. And that, that's, that's, a good, that's a good one to bring up. When I, I booked a show for Amps for Christ and Bastard Noise together. <laughs> like, those guys hadn't seen each other in a long time. I didn't really know all the politics of it all. But, yeah. but I get, I, it was kind of a, it was, a, it felt a bit dicey, I guess. I yeah. didn't. Re- I didn't really remember. I just was like, I love Mass Bastard. I like these things. They should all play together. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Bastard Noise would play, and yeah, you did, sets would just be pure noise, and it felt like very appropriate at a place like the Smell. Mm-hmm. I don't know where you know maybe they 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 could play other punk venues too because of their history. Mm-hmm. Um, there were yeah, I guess I brought up Godsick Pink. They were a band that were on Five RC, and um, 5RC actually felt very aligned with kind of the early smell. Um, What's 5RC? Fi- okay, so 5RC was a label that was associated with Kill Rock Stars, oh. and they started they started putting out like um, I think Deerhoof maybe was on 5RC. It seemed like the experimental, like more fucked up. It was Slim Slim Moon's like weird version of Kill Rock Stars. Okay, so um, he was putting out a lot of kind of yeah, he put out Godsick Pink, and and that was kind of an LA band, and um, yeah, you know they had saxophones and played their instruments upside down, and um, <laughs> you know had a punk attitude, but yeah, but were anything but you know 
like would um would like there be like you know like a band like uh, Melt Banana I guess would have also crossed over because they were on Slapham and stuff like that too right mm-hmm. yeah yeah I saw them there I saw them there probably two or three times well we got to talk about the show that lives on in infamy from there which is this dystopia show um <laughs> yeah <laughs> I I remember first crazy. coming there and hearing about it I think it was like the third time we came to L A and just like the amount of emotion that was uh was was packed into this story that I kept hearing from different people. It seems like it was a real defining show. <laughs> yeah. Well it was before okay, so I don't remember who booked this dystopia show. I I wish I knew who booked it, but they had played you? there before. It wasn't me. <laughs> okay. No, and they had played there before, I think. Anyway, so they, they played there and it was like the, the capacity of the smell is two fifty. So the dystopia show was happening, and there was probably two fifty people, two hundred fifty people inside, but probably like felt like four hundred people, five hundred people outside, like crusty kids that wanted to get into the show. Mm-hmm. It smells all volunteer run. Um, so I'm out there. I think me and Randy and a couple other people are out there trying to hold these people, the kids back. You know, like hey, it's sold out. They're like, fuck, it's not sold out. Like. They're trying to like pry open the, these big metal doors, and they're like, "Look, I, there's still room in there." And we're like, you know, Jim's like, "Please, you know, we can't let more people in because the, the fire marshal had already come and said this is your this you, it's two fifty. That's your yeah. capacity. Yeah. If we come by, there's more people in there, and also just people in the alley. You know, people are trying to drive through, and it's a whole it's just like a whole thing, and people are throwing bottles and getting all pissed off. So dystopia starts playing. People are trying to tear these doors down. Um, uh, me and a few other people are trying to do security, and at one point, <laughs> this crowd of people like crowd surfs these like two crusty guys over our head, <laughs> and they like get in and like shimmy their way in the door, and they kick it open. And there's like fuck yeah, and then all these kids rush in, and we're just <laughs> at that point, you know, at that point we're just our hands are up, we're like kind of laughing, just like all right, fuck it, you guys got in. What are we gonna do? Yeah. Um, and just all these people stormed in, saw this wild show. And now that, that felt like a defining moment. Like, fuck, you know, the, the, we don't have control and, and, and uh, we don't know what's going to happen. And then weeks later, this band, um, the whip played. I don't know. That. Um, I don't think the whip. Yeah. They, it was, uh, it was the drummer for, from carp. Okay. Yeah. And Jarrett from carp. And they put out a seven inch. It's really great. But, the drum, the drummer for Carp died uh, shortly after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they played, and and the fire marshal came when they played and said, maybe he had heard about the Stopia show. I think that's what the story was. There was a lot of people converging in the space in this alley. They came. It might have been a day or two after the Stopia show, and um, they shut the smell down. The smell was closed down for months and months because they had to get fire doors. They had to get exit signs that it have a handicap accessible bathroom and do all of these things. And, um, so that, that was a big bummer for us. Cause that was right when our, our kind of scene was happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was a kind of an, uh, a thorn. But a lot of, a lot of the shows moved to the house I was living at actually. So I had all these kind of wild shows in this fucked up kind of squat that we made. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, your house has come up on this show actually a few times now. 
Have it? Wow. God yeah. Damn. Yep. Beth talked about uh, crowd surfing through your kitchen, <laughs> drinking a beer. <laughs> yeah, it was a really. I met the. I was a bike messenger. I met these guys. I didn't have a place to live, um, and I I was working. And these guys like, hey, we we found this spot. Um, it's really cheap. It's like three hundred bucks. You can have a room. I was like, three hundred bucks. That's way too much money. <laughs> so I, I split my room with this other bike messenger guy. <laughs> so I paid one fifty. I had like a curtain up. Um, but as soon as I went in there, they got in a fight with the landlord, and they're like, "We're not paying rent anymore." So fuck it, don't even worry about it. <laughs> so we lived there for a, I think a year, a year, and we paid no rent, and we had I I started booking shows. They didn't have shows before that, but I I started booking shows there because there's kind of a big room. It's a huge place. It was, it was in Hollywood. It was above a shoe uh, furniture store, like I mean, multiple multiple rooms. I started booking some shows there and then, uh, yeah, the smoke closed down. We moved a bunch of these shows, this fucked up house. And I actually, I remember the funny story is, uh, we booked a hella Joan of Arc show and <laughs> <laughs> like, that's like shit that would happen to smell and they go to this fucked up house, you know? And I remember, so I remember Tim Kinsella, Joan of Arc guys pulled up in front of our house and they were supposed to play the smell, you know, <laughs> they booked yeah. the smell, yeah. they show up and, um, I'm like, hey, hey, how you doing here? Here's, here's the venue. And Tim Kinsella kind of looks and he goes, fuck. Uh, and he like sent another guy up, one of the other guys in the band to like check it out. And I show him the place. And then the guy comes down. He's like, all right, Tim, yeah, I think it'll be fine. It's cool. Because I think they're just ready to bounce. Yeah. They're like, we're going to play this like kid's house. Like, fuck yeah. this, dude. Come on. <laughs> yeah. But it was actually a really great, really great show. <laughs> yeah. No, I think and once you're in a band, like at the time, if a band rolled up and did that shit, I would have been so pissed and so bummed. Right. I know like weeks and weeks on tour, you're like, uh, we supposed to play a cool venue and yeah. play a house. It's like, come on, man. But then like, yeah, once you're in the band, you can kind of see it from the band's perspective. But like as a kid, you'd be like, what the fuck, dude? Just play, <laughs> yeah, come man. On. I know. It's so cool. But like, there's no backstage. Come yeah. on. What are you going to do? Where are we going to put our shit? We got to play. I mean, it was really fun. Like the house was really gnarly. It was like spray painted all over. And <laughs> and then that last, Beth was probably talking about that last party we had where basically trashed the place because the guy, the cops came and said, you guys have to leave in, you know, 48 hours. So we had, um, we had a show, some people played and then people just like, I mean, (laughs) tore the, destroyed this poor building. I think I remember there was also talks of Jim. I think the smell was right after the, or right during the, yeah, the, the remodeling of the smell didn't happen yet. And there was talks of maybe trying to put in, uh, a stove or a kitchen because maybe there was a permit thing that could happen. Um, so maybe the smell could be more of a cafe. Yeah. And there was a big hood. There was like an industrial hood at this place I lived at. And Jim's like, can I have that? <laughs> like, yeah. So I remember him like climbing and trying to like take this hood down. But like, it, I don't think they ever got it because they didn't have the proper tools. But uh, yeah. And that would have been a pretty gnarly kitchen. Yeah, dude. This, the place was fucking it was really wild. And there's two wings. There was me and these bike messenger guys. And there's a whole other wing with this kind of, I don't remember this dude, this like junkie kind of kid that would come out every once in a while. And, you know, there were needles in the bathroom. It was a gnarly, it was a pretty gnarly zone. It's... Every once in a while, that Jesse from, um, he was an MTV VJ. Oh yeah. Jesse, uh, fuck. What's that dude? And the Camp? tall lanky guy. Jesse Camp. Yeah. Right. Tall, long hair. Hey, kind of had, had a, Interesting way of speaking, right? Yeah, yeah. He was a he would always show up at the house. Maybe he was I don't know what his stitch was, but I kinda come out 
go to the bathroom and be like, hey, and he can't be walking around. Like, that's the guy, <laughs> Jesse, from, from, here, from the, the VJ from Spring Break. What the fuck's that guy doing here? Holly, that's Hollywood for you, I guess. Yeah, no, that's the thing about when you, especially that time going there, it's just like, it felt like a city that was just before all the all the developers moved in and, and, and crushed the downtown type thing. Um, and then also there was like this weird, super high glamour thing that's also happening right close by. So coming from Canada, it felt very exciting. Yeah. God damn, dude. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> it felt exciting for me. I mean, you know, I think just living in different places in Hollywood and, and like I said, the where I, I mean, my mom grew up in Hollywood, but I, 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 where I grew up was 30 minutes North and it was kind of a cow town where yeah. Infest were from, you know, Saugus. They're from the, Oh, that's, that's right, because also we haven't talked about this yet. Chopping block. Oh yeah, Dave Keck, Dave Keck's band. So yeah, we should probably get into this, huh? Yeah, I, well, I, if you want to, because believe me, I'm still still very uh, into this band and stuff. So let's. So well, yeah, so so go on. <laughs> no, right when I was in high school, um, well, I knew who Dave, Dave Keck was. My my father used to be a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. He was a chiropractor, and and one of his. Uh, Patience was this guy Dave Keck, so I knew him when I was younger. So when I'm in high school, ninth grade or so, I'm getting into punk. Dave Keck, hey, what's up? You're Doctor Spunt's son. Like, hey, man, I, you know, and he sold me or gave me the chopping block seven inch. That's um, awesome. Yeah, and it, and I later, you know, a few years later learned. Yeah, he started. He helped start Infest, and he, that whole crew was from Saugus, my high school, and I had no idea. But the, but chopping block. Yeah, you know, Dave, Dave's an interesting cat. You know, he was hanging around with kids at our high school, I think with seniors and stuff. Those, those bands I went and saw at the Natural Fudge Cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, Dave was also working on another band with some kids from my high school. Um, oh, and Dave was also in a band that I saw in my town called Teen Creeps, what which I named a song after. Uh, oh, yeah, that's where that's, oh, sorry. Go on. That's where that song title comes from. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just named it after his band. I thought it was a good name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And I heard they have a recording somewhere. I should probably ask Dave, but I, I don't, I don't remember it. Like what it sounded like at all, but I just remember visually it looked cool. Cause Dave, you know, Dave was an older guy and he, he didn't care how he looked. Like wasn't trying to be hip. Yeah. He wore sweatpants, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there was these two other kind of younger kids from my high school that were, you know, shit, one guy looked like Rollins, like shaved head, flag era, real tall. And, he, and this other guy was kind of jockey. I, I don't really remember much, but I just remember thinking, I remember, you know, like, I feel like a year later, I, I almost thought like that was my favorite band, even though I'd had heard nothing. I saw like a glimpse of them playing, I don't know, but they just seemed cool. But that name stuck with me. Um, I, I think they have a recording. I should probably, I should, I should ask, but um, I haven't been in touch with Dave in a while, but. What was your first band called? The first band I was in was called The Grommets. And what did it sound like? Uh, it it sounded like, you know, t- like that song Forming from the Germs. Like, na-na-na-na-na-na. <laughs> like, every song was that because no one knew how to do it. I sang. Um, and, yeah, it's FYP, I guess. Or, like, nothing. Yeah, two-chord punk, punk music. So it was, like, me and all these other kids 
two other kids. And then uh, the drummer was a senior. He was older. And I think he might have just thought it was funny that he's playing with little guys. But um, yeah, we had a song. I mean, I was, oh yeah, I was a lyricist. So I had a song called The Riverdales Suck because I was in the Screeching Weasel <laughs> and the Riverdales were the band after. <laughs> and I think the lyrics, the lyrics were like, the Riverdales suck. You know, the Riverdales suck, the Riverdales suck. Say it ain't so, Ben. <laughs> Say it ain't so, Ben Weasel. Yeah. Um, and then I, 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 we had a song called I Don't Know where you just kind of yelled that over and over. Do you know Tony Molina? You know that dude? The name, yeah. What, what, what's he he, uh, he played in Ovens, and now he does Tony Molina as his, his side project. He says the Riverdales okay. are better than Screeching Weasel. <laughs> I haven't listened to Riverdales in a long time, but at the time, I was just—I <laughs> think I was sad that they broke up, and I never got to see him play. I, I'm, um, I'm Team Dean on this one, you know. I think Tony right, was wrong, you know. <laughs> I think so. I mean, the Screeching Weasel is still something I can listen to. I, um, it's nostalgic, but you know that power pop punk from that era it's pretty yeah, great oh god yeah like there's some that like there's some of those bands where you're just like you listen to it and you're like yeah this person could write a song you know obviously this is where they're playing but like they could probably write a song in any genre they wound up in yeah you're right that's a good point uh you going back to that was there any sort of holdover of that early infest power violence scene where like kids kind of waving that flag at that point at that point other than i guess teen creeps not really till later I mean, I, I knew Dave on like more of a personal level and um, I actually showed him I was before I was in Wives with Randy, I was in this band called The Jews and it was like a, a very like smell era, 2001, felt like an avant-garde hardcore band. Or something. Yeah, okay. You know, Glenn Bronca hardcore. Um, I showed him a tape and he, you know, he was, he was like, this is fucking sick, dude. <laughs> you know, it was just funny because at that point, I'm, I was, I was like, dude, Dave, you're an infest, man. And that's cool. <clears throat> um, yeah, I think late, you know, <clears throat> not in the world I was immediately in, but you know, for the hardcore shows I was booking at, like, I started seeing infest shirts, and I think for me, I hadn't really come across that in in like my orbit. You know, mm-hmm. I felt like once I reached outside of this greater hardcore world that I was peripherally in where I was book, helping book shows and would see shows I started seeing like the patches and the shirts would there just see more and more of them and then Infest became I think more of a legendary band you know there's a story behind them and everything and Chopping Block I don't that's very I'm still blown away you, you know what that is but well I think um, I only knew about it because it became like a it was like a legendary record when it came out and then it was kind of like this whispered about record amongst record collectors it's like oh this is like the the band that you know it was always like this was the band that taught Infest how to play or this is the band yeah. that inspired Infest it was always like pitched like that and then it was actually some some guy in uh, from Toronto uh, Ted Wong was moving to China and was just uh, was like selling off all his records and he had a copy of this record and it actually had a letter from Dave in in the seven inch and so that's how I knew all these things about this band and I became like kind of obsessed with it so when we were talking I don't even remember how it came up when we first started talking and then it turned out you knew it and it was just like it blew my fucking mind (laughs) yeah that seven inch I mean it was cool but yeah I mean when I I mean I I think I was 13 or I mean way it was a little too gnarly for me Mm -hmm. at that time and I already I had listened to metal you know I'd been into like Napalm Death before that but 
I don't know why something something about this felt like more gnarly. Maybe because it was local and the yeah. guy, you know, just coming in with sweatpants in my high school, selling me this thing. Like, it, and it, I knew him, and it just felt like weird, totally it, bizarre. Well, it's like we were describing that tape. It looks kind of sketchy in a weird way. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You're not sure. I mean, the cover is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. With a, a a blown out Texas Chainsaw Massacre image, and the font's weird, and it's like it. it and also sonically, it kind of like even makes infest sound like a blink 22 type band by comparison <laughs> like it's like somehow raw you know it's gnarly there is double bass pedal drum pedal on there and there's some more it has more of a metal leaning yeah yeah than, than infest and i think all the the sound bites you know there's like uh, what what that's oh, the one with the taxi driver is there a taxi driver one in it, is it i think it's like story of O. it's like it's kind of pervy <laughs> yeah, and then i think and then it's uh what what's the um a braveheart i think there's braveheart in there it's you know it's, then yeah. it goes these brutal songs <laughs> i mean it has that it has the infest vibe but yeah you know i i was yeah so i i think there wasn't i think in that hardcore world yeah infest and they've be, still continued to become a legendary band and actually i didn't see them play in this last they're kind of a um, revival. I hadn't been into a lot of those. Revi- I just can't bring myself to do a lot of that, but they're, but, they're, um, they're sure they're, it was good. They're on my list of bands that I have to see one day. You know, Spencer from trash talk now plays in the band mm-hmm. too. Oh, there you go. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I've always yeah. wanted to see them. I've, they've definitely been on my, uh, my want to see list, but you know, a chopping block reunion would also be amazing to see. So <laughs> dude, fuck. Dave might be down with that. <laughs> uh, so what was your first band that played live? That, the Grommets. Oh, you guys played live with that. Yeah, so I was uh, 13 years old. We started this band, and simultaneously, okay, that remember I told you the first band I saw was at this VFW hall. They were called The Outside. I think they were yeah. a pop-punk band. Yeah. I somehow got in touch with that guy, and he was he told me he was starting to he was going to book shows at this uh this place there that was called Nicole's Teen Dance Club, and it was opening up. And they were going to do, I guess, an underage club for younger kids. Or something. So he's like, I might be, might be able to book some shows here. And I told him I was in this band. I mean, he got us a show at this place that was five minutes from my house. It was in a strip mall. And um, which crazy. There must have been like 100 or 150 kids at this show. My first show I ever played. That's but because fucking wild. It was a, right? It was a small town, but like everyone wanted to come to the show. What's even, what's, I think about how funny it is now. Like before, I, we had ever recorded anything. We had a, some crappy boombox tape that I lost, but um, we had T-shirts because my mom ran a silkscreen shop. So I made grommet T-shirts <laughs> <laughs> and like sold them at my high school. You know, <laughs> which is funny. Like, I think about no age. We actually had shirts before we had anything recorded too. I think the silkscreen shop has been instrumental in that. But yeah, yeah no, like sorry, go on. Oh no, just I I. I Funny to th- I was like, I'm just selling these shirts, five bucks to these kids. And then we play the show and kids were wearing these grommets shirts. And it's like <laughs> manufactured. <or something. laughs> but you no, know, no age always had, you know, and still has like the sickest merch. Right. Like, so I guess that started really early on with the grommets. Yeah. I think I had access to the silkscreen um, yeah. shop so I could go in there and just do whatever. And I mean, my mom designed the grommets shirt actually, cause I just typed grommets in a typewriter font. And my mom was like, well, you know, if you crumple it up, 
and then re-photocopy it. This is my mom. You crumple it up, re-photocopy it. It'll have these sort of cracked lines in it. Like, okay, cool. So we did that. So grommets in the back. And actually, the the front of it, I the front was – so that said grommets in the back. The front was something that I got off a message board, early, early, early message board or internet message board of like a skinhead kid with a baseball bat. Like someone had drawn and I somehow downloaded it or – printed it i can't even remember but that was in the front of the shirt like someone else's design you know sounds like a pretty hard looking shirt though you should, you should I, wish, I wish i had the artwork still i know i gotta <laughs> yeah. find it but I'm, they actually might i don't know if they threw a lot of stuff away they might still have it uh so uh after the grommets did you immediately go into this the other band you were describing like or was there a band in between oh no so that was yeah i was like a ninth grader um and then what by yeah by the time i was 15 i was in a band that was a bit more uh, i guess hardcore straight edge you know we're i think we're a straight edge band i guess but not like we're also pretty like i said we grew up in kind of a farm farming town mm-hmm. as much as we knew about straight straight edge or at least i probably knew more because i knew some bands but the other guys were like maybe not as hip to what it was but we were playing a kind of punk hardcore kind of music what kind of bands were you you know taking inspiration from for that uh, i mean everywhere from like the first bad religion album to uh Maybe I got. I think around that time I might have gotten a Strife record. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, it went ran the gamut. This is very like suburban high school. Um, but yeah, I was like, I was playing guitar. I was kind of palm muting some stuff. You know, I was playing real fast. But the drummer guy, I don't think was really into punk. He was into the Deftones and stuff <laughs> like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> it was like a challenge to try to figure out how to. Like, I don't like the that like China sim. Like that's not really this. You know, trying to show him stuff, but he he's like a stoner dude into into corn and the Deftones. Um, it was a real fucked up band, but you know, in my mind, it was like, yeah, I like Minor Threat, and like, I want to do something like this. And then the singer guy is still a friend of mine. He was he liked the Clash, and you know, and Bad Religion. It sounds like but, yeah. it, it sounds like it would have sounded like one of those late eighties kind of hardcore bands from something yeah totally like that those dr- like double bass drums and and then i think we started getting into you know a little bit more of like mel- melodic you know like emo-y kind of tones and <laughs> yeah that, that band played for i don't know a few months did it record at all um i think we just recorded it you know like a boombox tape yeah yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I got so to hear like, it, Dean. I got to hear it. <laughs> I don't know if I, ha- I think actually I lost the tape. Oh, sure. I Again, I, I fucking, I, yeah. And I, I think the singer kid, my friend Travis, he, uh, I remember actually I did lose it because I, I'm like, hey, can I borrow that? And he's like, look, it's the only cop we have. Don't lose it. I'm like, I'm not going to lose it. <laughs> uh, I'm in a horrible archivist. You know, we've talked about this before. I'm not really a record collector. You know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not like, I'm not like a, I don't need things to be archived perfectly. Or I just sort of I like the happenstance nature of finding things and like stumbling and losing. Like I kind of go through life like that a bit. Yeah. Allow things to happen. You still hold on to all that stuff though. You still have that chopping block seven inch. Yeah. See, there you go. You're, you're a collector. There's some stuff I can't get rid of. You know, I did sell a bunch of records recently, but you know, you know, you know, from being in a band yep. and stuff throughout the years, you, you get records. Yep. Like I've had records for 10 years. I never opened, you know, I got yep. rid of those kind of records where I'm like, I, you know, some label sent me a box of records that, it, that I'd have no use for. 
you got to keep the chopping block and you got to keep the fire party. Yeah, fire party. I'm gonna fucking I'm gonna throw that on right now and see if it. I, those are the records that like. Yeah, one day I know. I know I'm gonna come yeah. to you. Well, I got Beef Eater. That took a while, you know. Yeah, yeah. I got like that. That finally clicked. I'm I'm waiting to still get Fugazi myself. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Uh, um, so did that band? Uh, was that? No, I guess like you would have done probably another band before you started doing your stuff of the smell, or was that kind of like the band that directly preceded the band that preceded Wives? Yeah, there was some intern. I mean, not just kind of jamming at that point. Um, yeah, the first band that I was in that really played was the Jews. Mm-hmm. I mean, we started playing at the smell and that was like, I'd already moved out. I was into, I was into a uh, punk music and I, I think the, these older guys, Jarrett who helped start the smell and, um, and, uh, uh, Jeff, those guys ended up being a band called the young people. Did you ever hear that mm-hmm. the indie rock band? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, Jeff had just moved to LA from Providence where he went to art school. He, he was in a, he was in landed and the thing called pink and Brown and like that, that world black dice, that kind of era mm-hmm. bands. Um, and I was into that stuff. Um, and, and yeah. And, and the singer was this guy, Anthony Berryman, who he, uh, I ended up putting out a record for him in this band called so damn insane on my label. Mm-hmm. They're like a hardcore band, but yeah, I wasn't, you know, I was loosely getting into ex- more kind of experimental stuff. Those guys, a few years older, they kind of um, helped me. They gave me records and like, you should check this out and check this out. This is cool. Um, and that band, yeah, that band was sort of a, I was I, going into it that it was like a hardcore band. I think like Void, I think that's what they were referencing. Maybe I had a Void. I feel like I had like a spray painted Void logo on my, on my, t-shirt at some point and they picked up on that but then the band ended up being way more fucked like i think because of the guys i was playing with they, they wanted to play you know they like this the show we play was we have a clock and it was like we play one note for four minutes and then change when the clock you know would strike a certain number to one other tone and then <laughs> it got real real heady was it fast too Kind of, yeah. There were some fast parts, and there was, there was some. Uh, there's a video somewhere. I should, I'll dig it out. I'll, I'll show you. You said you recorded a tape, right? Was that the only thing you recorded? Yeah, I think there's one song, and I think a demo tape. I gotta, I yeah, the the one song I gotta find. I gotta find these things. Yeah, they were cool. I mean, it was cool because it, it really it felt like maybe because I was younger, but it felt felt very felt very cool to, to be playing. To be experimenting with these these guys, and you know, we, people would come to our shows, and I say, I, I almost think, I think Ben, I think Load Records said they were going to put out a record, and then we stopped playing together. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what happened. I can't even really remember. Um, and then the wives started, and the wives sort of took all my time, my, mm-hmm. my energy. So I mean, young people, yeah, young people started, and wives started simultaneously, and I think those guys did their thing, and we were doing our thing. You mentioned earlier there was like, you know, like during that dystopia show, there was a sense of like losing control from like the scene that you guys kind of, or I guess like what you guys, you know, your space, losing control of the space. Like, what was there a moment where you felt like, like your scene was kind of coming together there or coalescing there? Like, you know, and I mean like yourselves, Miko Miko and, and Abe Vigoda and all those bands that would kind of like come out later on. But like, is there a moment where you think like, 
you know, almost the younger people, the next generation kind of with Jim obviously took over that space. Yeah. Yeah. I think it really happened with Mika Miko. Cause I think why we were cementing, I mean, I, I was very clear in my dedication to the smell and wanted it to be our, uh, our space. Mm-hmm. Cause I saw the potential in that, the people and the place. I just felt like perfect. Um, so we were playing there a lot. And then I met the girls from Mika Miko. Um, it's actually the second wives show. Yeah. We played this, this like anarch, anarchist sort of a info shop that was in LA too. And I remember meeting Jenna there and we played, you know, we were playing the wives. We were, um, we were a bit confrontational. I think just, it was our nature. So we played this benefit, like, you know, crust punk, everyone's wearing black. So we, obnoxious we like all wore like pink we yeah. you know our our band was kind of odd but um but yeah, i met her there and she was the only one who came up to me and was like that was cool and she must have been 16 or something yeah it's like that's a cool set so then i ran into them maybe a, you know months later and they were still in a band called the dead banana ladies which was a kind of a crusty punk band that's an um, awesome name <laughs> yeah they have recordings. Oh, I gotta oh hear that. I definitely gotta yeah. hear that. That's I gotta say that, that is much more like wow, they're trying to do like crust, you know. Um, so they were still in that when I met them, and and I think I never saw them play. I was gonna see a show. Like, um, I you know I started dating Jennifer a little bit after that, but she's like, oh, that band broke up. We're in this new band called Mika Miko. Cool. Um, Saw them play, and I they they played my house that we were talking about. There must have been their second or third show or something. Um, Wives might have played that show too. And Jim was there from the smell, and he saw them play and invited them to play the smell. And that felt like that was huge because I think they brought in a whole different element of of younger kids, and they were you know they were into punk seventy seven punk music. That was kind of what they're referencing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just their energy was really amazing for everyone here because they they could give two shits about any any sort of anything. It felt like they were not LA. They were just playing. They were super. They're just very cool. Um, and I think they're you know people would see them and then younger kids started playing more. And I and I think because I was booking shows there a lot, I was just booking these younger kids and we'd be playing together. And I felt very inspired by all these younger kids and wives. And yes, and that sort of was the building of that that world. And I think the older guys, like the guys I was playing with in the Jews, I feel like they probably felt maybe pushed out or felt not that interested in this kind of younger music. Maybe mm-hmm. I got that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've talked to you forever and it's been amazing to catch up and I could yeah, talk shit. to you for way longer. Would you come back for a part two at some point, Dean? Yeah. Fuck yeah, man. Yeah, I know. We could keep, I actually should probably go. Well, before, we before I let you go, could, I just wanted to find out like for, quickly, like what was it like at that moment where, you know, like everyone was like, Oh, the smells, the next Seattle or the smells, the next Gilman or like where it became like, you know, and it was sort of, I talked about it with Randy a little bit, but that's like the last vestige of almost like, a scene being discovered by like indie rock media or not discovered, but like, yeah. you know, feasted upon by indie rock media. Yeah. It, it was, it was tough. I think because as that was happening, we weren't, we weren't able to be at the smell and we're, we're you know, we were touring a lot. Mm-hmm. We were traveling and 
almost like we were promoting the smell in a way, but not like unintentionally. Well, intentionally trying to talk about it because we believed that it was a great space and everything. But I don't know. You know, I felt like almost like we abandoned that our 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 ship because there was a lot of attention and we weren't really able to help focus that guide that attention to where it needed to be. You know, in a way, mm-hmm. I mean, um, yeah, was it, it's hard as an insider, I think to see it, but it did feel like everywhere we'd go, it was talking about the smell. And then I, that, it became at a certain point, like, I don't even know what the smell is, you know, cause yeah. it's not a genre. There's no thing that came. It was just like a, just vibes, you know, vibes and feelings and, and an attitude that was coming out of there. Um, if, and I, you know, I, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure exactly. Cause I feel like there was a couple, there was a big LA weekly or LA times article that came out that was like, can the smell survive this sort of popularity? And I feel like I felt maybe I remember reading that and feeling like I didn't, my voice wasn't really heard because I feel like maybe it was taken out of context or we weren't really able to be there to, to um, see what was really happening. We're sort of experiencing it from far away and, and yeah. But it's, it's such an amazing, you know, it's like, I think part of the reason I'm so fascinated by that scene is the fact that it's like one of the last geographical kind of scenes. Like now it's everything's so much more decentralized. It feels like, like when, things start happening. People are, you know, obviously, you know, in different parts of the world or different parts of the country or multiple countries and kind of coming together. And it, it felt like the smell was like the last time where there was like, Oh, this is this venue and there's all these bands and they all sound different. And it's, it was, uh, it's, it's amazing too. And I think the, the, the thing about it is like, it did survive and you guys survived and, and, and Miko Miko, like obviously didn't survive as Miko Miko, but like, you know, various people went on to do other projects out of that and like Abe Vigoda and like best coast. And, you know, like it's, it, it, it's like everyone kind of like, obviously everyone had their ups and downs, but like everything kind of came out. Okay. Like it did survive like that, write that editor a letter and be like, yeah, fuck <laughs> it, it survived. Uh, yeah. But you know, I feel like it also, you know, with you guys too, I mean, I feel like we were definitely part of the smell world, but we were also part of this other sort of, I don't know, yeah. indie punk yeah. happening with you guys and us and like pitchfork oh. blowing up stuff that necessarily didn't ask for it, you know, <laughs> yeah. or didn't even like, <laughs> I don't know, it, it just sort of, they picked up on a thing that was happening like, oh, hey, indie, indie rock, like punk is, punk is happening in indie rock or whatever, whatever that was, it yeah. felt like. That was also part of our, um, our, like that was focused upon us too. So I think, I think that's what I mean. I feel like the smell became, I felt like we, um, were no longer just part of this scene. So, so there's a bunch of attention, but it was like, fuck you. We're also like in Tokyo playing and I, I, like, you know, I, I don't, and we're playing festivals now. I don't really, it's hard. And the smell does, it has survived and it's a totally different thing now, Yeah, you know? Um, and as it should be, young kids do their thing. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a lot to unpack and I haven't really, I haven't had any like, uh, critical talks about it. You should get into it further, I guess, at some point. That's a part two part thing. Two. But, oh, it's funny that you brought that up, that whole moment where it was like yourselves and, and us and, and Jay was, Jay Riotar was kind of blowing up and like yeah. deer hunter. It was like all these people that were kind of like from 
completely different places, but all kind of like wanting to approach this thing with the same sort of attitude of like being punk kids, but wanting to do something different maybe. Yeah. Does that have a, does that name have a scene? You would know. Is that I don't know. Yet? I guess like disparagingly, you could refer to it as hipster hardcore, but I would. Oh, fuck you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. But I don't know. No, I, I think, I don't know like what that scene would be called. Like, I, I like, I honestly look at it as being like the last, no, I don't think last because there's still, it's still happening in a day, but like one of those moments where all of a sudden like punk rock boils to the surface again. You know, and like, yeah, you, you get like a lot of stuff kind of coming out of it, uh, you know, and it just and then it dies down again and then it kind of happens. And it seems like it, it, it happens every sort of like 10 years. And I'm just glad that we got to ride that wave. Yeah, that was fun, man. <laughs> and I, whenever, whenever it comes, you know, let me know when it has a name. I feel like you're going to be the first to know. <laughs> you're more plugged into pop culture than I am. Well, when you come back, we'll have to figure out what that name is. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do a part two, man. I think that'd be really there's a lot more to talk about. Thank you, Dean, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Dean's going to come back for a part two. We got more to talk about. We got we could probably talk about chopping block for another hour. You know, that's how that's how I love that seven inch so much. Uh, it's on YouTube. You can find that on YouTube. Check it out. It is uh, definitely. You know, if there's like a kill by death for that era. That would certainly have to be on one of the first rounds of it. Kill by power violence, I guess. Right. Uh, that's it. Uh, all right. Uh, next week on the show, next week on the show, uh, one of my favorite punk bands from Chicago, my favorite scenes ever, a band that I collect obsessively, uh, someone that my brother and I, you know, talked about having on the show for a long time, and now it's finally happened. Next week on the show, from the Bow Weevils, from Lando's 45, Daryl Wilson will be on the show and my gosh, we go deep about, you know, I've seen them kind of obsessed with, you know, I've talked about it before on the show. I think the 90s Chicago scene might be in the contenders for the, uh, one of the best all time punk scenes as far as like putting out bands. And uh, anyway, we go into all this next week. That's it for me, everyone. Uh, I guess once again, go out there and make your own culture, uh, sign your organ donor cards, uh, fight fascism. Stand up for what you fucking believe in right now. Um, support to everyone that's doing that. Black Lives Matter. Go out and get yourself educated. Read. Just, you know, just learn and listen and take part. Donate. Show up. Do do what you can. Do what you're able to. Um, and that's it for me on the show. Uh, go out there and uh, uh, and be safe too. And I will see you next week. Wear a mask. Wear a mask. Holy jeez. If you read right now about what happens if you wear a mask, you know, it's, 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 yeah, it, it's very, you know, um, it's very important that we all wear masks, I think, you know, and that's, I don't care if it's against your personal freedom, just wear a fucking mask. Also, they look kind of cool and badass. Like I've, I've going to Japan, seeing people in masks over the years, you know, not to make light of a very serious situation, of course, but, um, yeah, I, I got a cool mask Wear wear a mask. And that's it. Uh, see you next week on the show. Um, stay safe. Not to lecture anyone. You know, I know everyone probably knows more about all this stuff than I do. So anyway, bye everyone. Love you. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.